Welcome to the podcast, Think Biblically, Conversations on Faith and Culture. I'm your host, Scott Ray, Dean of Faculty and Professor of Christian Ethics here at Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. And I'm your co-host, Sean McDowell, Professor of Apologetics at Talbot School of Theology, Biola University. We're here with our special guest today, Dr. Wayne Grudem, a distinguished theologian, now a research professor at Phoenix Seminary, uh, the author of more books than we can count. Uh, in fact, it, it would take, I think, mo- most of our podcast time just to list his publications. But what, I, what, what we're, we want to talk about today is a brand new book that's coming out. He's, he's done a series of these little short volumes entitled What the Bible Says About and Then a Given Topic. Uh, and so this one we want to focus on today is What the Bible Says About Birth Control, Infertility, Reproductive Technology, and Adoption. So, Wayne, we appreciate your... Uh, your willingness to take on a whole host of controversial topics in one very short volume. Uh, Dr. Wayne Grudem, welcome. Really happy to have you with us on this. Thank you, Scott. Good to be with you. So tell us exactly, just let's start with, I think, probably the most controversial part of this, the area of birth control. What exactly does the Bible teach about birth control? Well, I think the first thing we have to say, Scott, and I know you would agree with me, is the Bible is unashamedly and unequivocally in favor of children. The children are viewed as a blessing. The uh, first chapter of the Bible, God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So the first command that God ever gave to human beings was a mandate to bear children. And you get passages like Psalm 127, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Or Malachi 2.15, what was God seeking? Godly offspring. You go over to the New Testament and the Apostle Paul says, as far as younger widows, he said, I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. So in any conversation about birth control, I think we have to start out by saying to ourselves and to others, do we agree in our hearts with the Bible's positive view of children as a blessing from God. Okay, so if so if that so if that's true, then it's in you know in the the tenor of Scripture is clearly clearly indicates that if that's true, then what's what's the rationale for any birth control at all? Well, there are many good things to do in life, and we can't do all of them all of the time. And I think it's reasonable and morally permissible for couples to say, "We want to have children, but we're not sure this is the right time." Or um, perhaps uh, we wa- we are are thankful for our children, but we don't think we can responsibly provide for and teach and nurture and and uh, care for any more children than what we have. In those cases, uh, birth control is, I think, morally acceptable. I don't see anything in Scripture that would prohibit the use of birth control, and it's one uh, development that uh, is available through modern medicine. So in general, the idea of choosing not to have more children or choosing not to have children for a time in marriage is, uh, is itself morally acceptable. Uh, however, there are some morally permissible means of birth control and there are some morally unacceptable means of birth control, uh, those that involve taking the life of an unborn child. Dr. Grudem, in, in, in your volume here, you say, uh, quote, the scriptural emphasis on children as a blessing leads me to think that married couples should, in almost all cases, 
plan to have children sometime in their marriages. And then you've got a little footnote that says a rare exception would be, say, a wife has a medical condition. Yes. Are you open to the rare exception? Like I had a friend who said he and his wife decided not to have children and they wanted to foster and it seems to be fitting with the child focus of marriage, but it's not their own biological kids. What What are your thoughts on that, Sean? I I um I'm not sure. I have to be honest with you. It seems to me that the Bible's emphasis on the blessing of children being born to a husband and wife who conceived the child uh, would make me wonder why they don't want to have children of their own. Now, I suppose you maybe in your example, uh, I don't know if it's a real example or a hypothetical, but uh, they might say, well, we want to devote our care to the foster children and we only have energy and funds and time enough to raise a certain number of children and we choose to raise these foster children. I, um, I wonder especially if the wife in the marriage would feel deeply uh, content that that is God's will for her not to have children when she is able to do so. Um, God has put in the heart of both fathers and mothers, but especially in the heart of mothers, uh, of women, uh, a desire, a deep longing to have children that is reflected in various uh, passages of Scripture. Uh, Hannah, longing for a child. Um, Sarah, um, Zechariah and Elizabeth in the New Testament, uh, and others, uh, Rachel. And it seems to me, well, now I may be speaking too much from my own personal experience, uh, Sean, but uh, Margaret and I were married um, five years before our first child was born. And I did not have the faintest idea how deeply Margaret longed to have children until I saw how happy she was when our first um, child was born. It was just um, a depth of joy that was. I mean, I I was I was happy. I was the dad, but um, it, her joy was much deeper than that. So I don't know, Sean. I I would um, if if a couple came to me for counsel in that situation, I would like to ask to ask a number of questions to help them think through whether this is really what they should be doing or not. Because the number of years in which they're able to bear children is limited in every marriage. And uh, will they regret that decision when they come to the end of that period and it's no longer possible? I don't know. Scott, do you have, do you have something to say about that? Well, I think it's, yeah, I think there's, you're right, I think about, there's a, a, a deep longing, I think, f- that, that's part of our procreative constitution that's it's built into us um and i do think you have you know you have lots of years to foster um but you only have a you do have a limited a limited window in which you could procreate your own children right um but i've had you know i've had friends who have had it they've had a, a child or two of their own and then they choose to adopt uh additional children other than yes. rather than have have natural children on their own yes um and I've often wondered, you know, we ex- we accept, uh, you know, the, the Bible's really clear that it accepts singleness for kingdom reasons. Yes. I wonder if it's I wonder if it's also possible to accept childlessness voluntarily for kingdom reasons, um, for some of the same reasons. That's a very helpful argument, Scott. I I feel the force of that. 
Wayne, let me go back to uh, you. You had said that there's some types of birth control that are morally acceptable and others that are not. Uh, the ones that are not are the ones that take the life of a of an unborn child. Can you spell out a little more specifically which types of birth control you consider to be morally pro- problematic? Well, certainly abortion is wrong. If people consider that birth control, I suppose it is in one sense, but it's taking the life of an unborn child. And um, there are certain medicines or medical substances that are abortifacients. They cause an abortion. The morning after pill, RU486 and LO1, which uh, after a child is conceived with the man's sperm uniting with the woman's egg or ovum and a new living being has come into existence with its own DNA, its own genetic code, then to take the life of that unborn child, even though it's in a very early stage of development, is taking the life of of what what we should consider a, a new human person. As David said to God, you knit me together in my mother's womb. He thinks of himself as a person while he was yet unborn. So that would be wrong. Um, As I understand it, the IUD, the intrauterine device, also, Scott, should be considered a a device that causes abortion. And that that would be morally wrong for the same reason. It would be putting to death a very young unborn child. But, um, There are other methods of birth control that um, do not take the life of an unborn child. The use of a condom, a diaphragm, a sponge, spermicide, and most uh, birth control pills, although that's a technical discussion we could get into. And um, what has been recommended for years in the Roman Catholic, among our Roman Catholic friends, is a, a rhythm method or natural family planning where they refrain, the couple refrains from intercourse during uh, the time of a, a month when a, a woman is fertile and can conceive a child. Um, I think also acceptable if a couple has reached a decision not to have any more children, a vasectomy for the man or a tubal ligation or having tubes tied for a woman, I think would be morally acceptable as well. I think that about covers the broad categories. Yeah, the the really controversial one is is the run of the mill birth control pill. Yes. Um, and does that, in your view, does that cause abortions, uh, or where where does that fit along the continuum of morally acceptable or not? Scott, you've reached the limits of my knowledge, and I have to default to you if you have more information on this than I do. I. As far as I could read and understand the medical material, I think that most most birth control pills uh, are uh, safe to use and do not cause abortions. But um, I'm open to being corrected on that. Yeah, I've heard I've I've heard mixed reviews on that. Do you have a conclusion um, from uh, my c- conclusion that I'm holding tentatively? is that the pill does have a backup mechanism um, that makes the the uterus inhospitable for implantation. Uh-huh. Um, and how often how often that's invoked, I don't think we'll ever be able to know the answer to that. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's whether that's in the intention of the pill or an or a uh, a side effect of the contraceptive component of the pill, I think is is still I think what's What's a little tricky to sort out. 
Well, that pushes me to say, well, I'm not sure, Scott. I would want to think about it some more. I'm, I'm, I hope I'm not being too ambivalent here, but um, we have two things. I think you, you and I would agree. There are two things we want to avoid. We want to avoid disobeying anything that the Bible tells us uh, about God's moral commands. We should never, never disobey Scripture. But we also don't want to go beyond Scripture and require more than the Scripture asks of yes. us. Yes. That's right. And um, I think where if it's if it's a rare or very rare phenomenon and not the primary purpose of birth control pill, I, I think I could see I the that, that acceptability may, yeah, of it. That may put it in a different category. I think it. Uh, some have raised a parallel to to a woman who's breastfeeding, uh, because a woman who's breastfeeding gives off the same some of the same hormones ah. that the birth control pill does. But we would not say that we would not discourage a woman from breastfeeding because of that. Uh, yes. We would say that that's a, that's an un, that's an unintended but anticipated side effect of an otherwise moral thing. Uh, and it may be that the pill fits with that parallel as well. Scott, every time I talk to you, I gain my no- gain in my knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're very you're very kind. Well, I'm truthful too. Well, that that that's how I feel as. That's how I feel as his co-host, <laughs> learning stuff here all the time, which is great. Let me, uh, well, let, let me, let me ask you this one, doc, Dr. Gruden, in terms of infertility treatments, what kind of biblical parameters should we bring to, to that question and dynamic? Well, as we talked, we talked, started out talking about birth control and we started out with a basic principle that, um, children are a gift from God and the Bible is pro-child. So I think that the Bible views infertility as a, a source of deep sorrow uh, for men and women, especially for women. And I mentioned Sarah and Rachel, Samson's mother, um, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And the Bible views with approval overcoming infertility. So one of the blessings of the Lord in Psalm 113 is, He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Um, So I think infertility is something we should seek to overcome in general, if we can, without doing anything morally uh, unacceptable. Um, I think infertility is another physical uh, disability or ailment that comes from the fall, comes as a result of sin in the world. I don't think infertility was how God made the creation at the beginning. So, um, so we should understand the, the the goodness of seeking to overcome infertility. Now, I think also we should say that where modern medicine is able to treat uh, illnesses or diseases or uh, physical disabilities and cure them, uh, we should be thankful for that. Jesus. While he was on earth, he laid his hands on every one of the people who came with various diseases. He laid his hands on every one of them and healed them, Luke 4.40. All those who were sick, who had any who were sick with various diseases. And I expect, I don't think it's stretching the bounds of the narrative to expect that Jesus in those cases in uh, was would heal the infertility of many women or men as well who had previously been unable to conceive and bear children. 
So I think it's morally right to support and welcome advances in medicine that can bring health to people with various diseases and disabilities, including infertility. So that's uh, one principle. Uh, the second principle we already talked about, the Bible requires us to treat the unborn child as a human person from the moment of conception. So any treatment for infertility that that regularly causes the uh, death of uh, un other unborn children um, would be unacceptable for Christians to participate in. Then, Sean, I would, um, I would add one other principle, and uh, there's room for difference on this, but uh, what I say in this uh, booklet on um, what does the Bible say about uh, birth control and reproductive technology, the principle I think from Scripture is God intends that a child should be conceived by and born to a man and a woman who are married to each other. We see that in a number of ways. One is the command, you shall not commit adultery. That would prevent... Uh, well, committing adultery would lead to a, a child, in many cases, being born to a man and a woman who are not married to each other, and God doesn't want that to happen. And uh, there's some legislation in the Old Testament law, uh, Exodus 22:16. If a man seduces a virgin who is not betrothed and lies with her, he shall give the bride price for her and make her his wife. So if a man and a woman have sex together and it's found out, they are required to marry. And there's a generally... That's the general principle. The rare exception is if the woman's father says, I'll have nothing to do with this man, and I won't have him for my son-in-law, then then uh, they don't have to get married. But uh, in general, the principle is if their child is going to come into the, into the relationship, the man and the woman should be married. And, of course, all the Bible verses that speak against sexual immorality, or in like in the King James Version, it was called fornication, two unmarried people having sex together. Uh, prohibiting that means that uh, sexual intercourse in God's intention should occur only within the context of marriage. And that would guarantee that children would be conceived only within the context of marriage, a man and a woman who are married to each other. That's some uh, guidelines on what we should think about with regard to overcoming infertility. So you, you have a, you know, a qualified acceptance of in vitro fertilization, Yes, I do. In the book that you that you support, um, yes. What what about any any problem morally or theologically with children being conceived outside the womb? Well, there are different situations that could occur. The one that seems to be most clearly morally correct is artificial insemination by husband, where for some reason, for some physical or medical reason, the husband and wife are unable to have ordinary sexual intercourse. If the husband's sperm can be collected uh, outside his body and then uh, injected into the into the wife's uh, womb uh, uterus using a needless syringe, the child is conceived by and born to a man and a woman who are married to each other, and no other human person is involved in it, and no embryo is destroyed, and the infertility is overcome. So I think I would say that's in my mind, is clearly morally acceptable, artificial insemination by husband. What about in vitro fertilization? Yeah, where um, in vitro means in glass or in, in the laboratory, where uh, a woman's egg and a husband's sperm are joined in the laboratory and then implanted uh, inside the woman. 
I have to say, Scott, I don't know where you stand on this, Scott and Sean. Um, evangelical Christians differ on the moral acceptability of this. My own position, I don't think there is a moral objection to this. Um, it is not something that would have been possible medically in the ancient world. It is possible today. But um, I think there's no objection to the idea in principle. However, the problem is sometimes more than one or two eggs are fertilized and uh, multiple embryos result. And then uh, what to do with them? The woman can't bear 15 or 20 children all at once. So the froze, the embryos are discarded or frozen. And um, uh, then that's the taking, the wrongful taking of human life. So uh, what I recommend in my book is that um, the kind of moral, the kind of in vitro fertilization that is morally acceptable is one in which um, only one or two embryos are, uh, eggs are fertilized and one or two embryos result and they're both uh, brought to full term, brought to birth. So I think that's morally acceptable. That doesn't mean that couples have an obligation to try it. And some may think it's too expensive. And um, others, some of my colleagues in the evangelical academic world, think it's, it fails too often and it results in the death of a fertilized egg, uh, death of a very young human being. Uh, and so they would say it's morally wrong. But I, I think that it, the intention of it is to bring about the wonderful, morally good birth of a of one or more children. And uh, I think I would find it morally acceptable. And if a couple came to me and asked for advice, I would say, if, if you think in your heart that God wants you to do this and you have the ability to afford it, then uh, I would say, go ahead. Tell me why that would be your suggestion as opposed to adoption, especially since the Bible speaks so positively about adoption and uses it as a metaphor for our relationship uh, with the Lord. Yeah, very good question, Sean. Um, I would say, why not both and? Why not both in vitro fertilization to have a child naturally and adoption if the couple feels led by God to adopt? That would be no different from the advice I would give to uh, just other couples who have no problem with uh, infertility at all. Why, Wayne, why do you think the Bible views adoption so positively? Well, um, God cares for children. And um, that's a broader theme. God cares for the defenseless, those who are unable to care for themselves. And widows and orphans are uh, especially in that category in the ancient world and to some degree today as well. And then um, there's a parallel with us as uh, sinners being saved by Christ and adopted into God's family as his sons and daughters. That's a wonderful privilege. We have a spiritual adoption, and uh, physical adoption is a, is a parallel to that and uh, is a demonstration of God's love for those who need care and protection. Dr. Grudem, I'm curious if you could spell out some of your thoughts on surrogacy. Is it something Christians can support, should be concerned about, qualified support? Uh, what are some biblical principles that apply to the question of surrogacy? Well, Sean, I'm very reluctant to um, endorse the use of surrogacy. Surrogacy would be um, a woman agreeing to carry in her womb and until the point of birth uh, a child that has been conceived by uh, the sperm of a man she's not married to and oftentimes the egg of a woman other than this woman who's carrying the baby. And the um, the 
there's one parallel, some some close, not exact parallel, but it's similar, the situation with Abraham and Sarah and Hagar in the Old Testament, where in Genesis 16, Abraham uh, conceived a child uh, with with his wife Sarah's handmaiden named uh, or a female servant, whose name was Hagar, and there was all sorts of conflict and stress and uh, tension in the marriage as a result. And uh, Abraham eventually drove Hagar away from the marriage. But you can see how that would happen because she's thinking. I'm bearing the child of this other man that I'm not married to, and there would be a deep emotional attachment that would be a, a, a temptation for both Abraham and Hagar, where their affections would be directed outside their marriage to the other person, outside the marriage of Abraham and Sarah. So there would be, uh, no doubt, tension and stress in the marriage. And um, I think in the case of surrogacy today, the same kinds of tension and stress would occur where uh, the mother who is bearing the child but is not the biological mother of the child that is conceived would feel a deep attraction to the man whose sperm she is carrying. And uh, the man would feel a kind of attraction to someone who is carrying his child. And it leads to all sorts of difficulties within marriage and leads to um, emotional and oftentimes relational conflicts that are damaging to the permanency of marriage between one man and one woman. So I'm reluctant to affirm it. Wayne, one final question for you. Um, You know, increasingly today, couples are able to adopt embryos that have been left over from successful IVF treatments. Right. Um, is, Is this a moral option for a couple trying to be faithful? I think it's a wonderful option, Scott. Um, we just talked a few minutes ago about the biblical uh, evaluation of adoption of physical children, children who are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 years and older. Um, well, why not adopt a child who is not yet born? And I don't know if you saw, and or I think you did see, you mentioned to me, that um, here there was an embryo frozen October 14th, 1992, and now 28 years later, 27 years later, she was adopted as a frozen embryo by her genetic parents, and um, just now, within the past week, Molly Everett Gibson was born as a baby after 27 years, as conceived after 27 years, born after 28 years as, as, as an embryo. And she's a perfectly healthy and normal baby. This is absolutely remarkable. And it's it's giving uh, a chance to have a normal life to an embryo that was a a child waiting to be born for 28 years. I think it's amazing. And and probably slated for destruction eventually. Yes, exactly. Uh, I know it it seems a little strange. It's a strange idea when you first hear about it, but... um, it's uh, God's miraculous creation of human life is so resilient that it can um, persist after being frozen for 28 years or 27 years. It's absolutely beat, remarkable. Beat the, pre- beat the previous record by more than a factor of two. <laughs> so, I think you said, uh, isn't there yeah. a student at uh, Biola who was born in this way? There is. The, the very first 
embryo adoption procedure it was performed here in, so- in Southern California. Uh, Hannah Stregi uh, was the first fro- frozen embryo uh, who was thawed and successfully birthed by her mother. Uh, she's currently a Biola student, and <laughs> Hannah and her um, Hannah and her family were on our podcast not that long ago. Uh, it's really it's a it's a wonderful story of redemption. It really is, in um, a just a, I think just a beautiful account of what uh, you know what God what God can do out of a you know out of a you know an IVF procedure that could have gone off the rails, and those em- those embryos could all have been destroyed. You know, Scott, as you say this, it makes me think. Um, Sometimes people wonder, uh, what about the resurrection of people who have died in horrible accidents and their bodies have been charred beyond recognition uh, or have been cremated, perhaps, or lost their lives in an explosion? How can God bring life back to these bodies who have been that have been so destroyed? Well, he's a powerful God, and he can create uh, new life as he will. Here, here. Uh, and that's, I think, a, a very encouraging note to... Uh, to end this, this stimulating discussion on. Wayne, thank you so much for coming on with us. I know we've tried to cover a lot of ground here in just a few minutes, but the book, you, one of the things you do so well in all of your writings is that you are so clear and so thorough and so biblically grounded. And that's what this book, I think, does so well. What the Bible says about birth control, infertility, reproductive technology, and adoption in in 77 pages. That's <laughs> That, that's that's quite an accomplishment, but it gives it. But it, it's not treated superficially. It's done with a with quite a bit of depth, uh, and is really well done, well grounded biblically, as you would expect from uh, someone who uh, has been writing theologically and biblically for uh, as long as you have. So, Wayne, thanks so much for coming on with us and for this terrific little book, uh, what the Bible says about birth control, infertility, reproductive technology and adoption. Thank you, Scott. So good to be with you and and, uh, Sean. This has been an episode of the podcast, Think Biblically, Conversations on Faith and Culture. To learn more about us and today's guest, Dr. Wayne Grudem, and to find more episodes, go to biola.edu forward slash think biblically. That's biola.edu forward slash think biblically. If you enjoyed today's conversation, give us a rating on your podcast app and share it with a friend. Thanks so much for listening, and remember, Think biblically about everything.